Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to See Also. I'm Kate Jinks. I'm Brody Lancaster. BL, what you been up to? I went to the Carly Rae Jepsen concert. Which Very was cool. Like a week ago as we're recording this. So it's a few weeks ago as you're listening, but the magic never ends. <laughs> I know that I recently described another gig as one of the top five shows of my life. You did. Yep. So I don't want to sound hyperbolic, <laughs> but Carly Rae Jepsen, like... Maybe it's because I just come out of an 11 day chest infection and it was like the first outing back in the world. It like brought me back to life. It was, I described it to my friends and also in an Instagram caption afterwards. It's like, it made me feel like what I thought it was going to feel like to go out again after lockdown. But after lockdown, we were all deeply traumatized Mm -hmm. and like introverted and like nervous to be in the world. Whereas going to see Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, in 2023 was just like an injection of like hope into my veins was restorative. It truly was all that glitter, all the sparkle, (laughs) her terrible stage banter that I just adored every time. It was great. That's so good. Yeah. There's nothing like a Carly show. Well, I see, I, I don't really know a lot of Carly's music, Mm -hmm. but my God, the people that I know who went to the shows around Australia, Fucking loved it. Yeah. It's the third time I've seen her and it was the best, the best show of all. She's really settled into the kind of camp and the silliness of her look and sound and all of that. Whereas the last time I saw her, I'm not sure if she was fully there. But she gets it. She gets it. That's yeah. great. Yeah. What about you? Mm, I went to see uh, Bernhard Hamlet at MTC, which is directed by... Anne-Louise Sarks, who is the artistic director of MTC, and this is her first show as AD and as the director. Mm. And it stars Kate Mulvaney and uh, friend of the pod, John Leary. Oh, stop. Yeah. Anyway, that was great. And he's getting rave reviews Kate at the moment. Kate Mulvaney. I know the name. What has she been in? She's been in a lot of theatre. Okay. I know her primarily as a theatre performer. She is playing Sandra Bernhardt, like the greatest actress of all time. Yeah. It's a very Kate Mulvaney role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I'm saying this, I'm realising I've listened to her on the Saturday quiz with John Leary. <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. have, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else? Uh, I went to the – I did a Melbourne pilgrimage mm-hmm. to the night markets at the Queen Vic, the, like, closing night of that. Yeah. It was fine. It was fine. 
Is it the noodle market? No, that's, no. In, that's in winter. Yeah, it's just like all kinds of food. It was fun. Like it was a fun little like outing, you yeah. know. Yeah. It felt very date night. Sure. That was the vibe. Um, and a lot of uni students who were like still doing O-Week. I don't know. O-Week <laughs> lasts for so long these days. <laughs> it's at the end of March. I know, but that's what it seems. Um, but, yeah, it, the whole thing does feel a bit like a MasterChef challenge, you know. You're like how many you've got to get all of these plates out everything needs to stay hot and you're like yeah. nothing can be that good i think of markets so much differently since watching masterchef oh yeah because you know when they have to do like a market challenge and someone serves a food item that has to be eaten with a knife and fork people are like you're walking around or the judges will be like your people are walking around they don't can't sit down and use two bits of cutlery chopsticks yeah. finger food well totally um and you've got like a beer in like a plastic cup in one hand and you know it gets difficult that said i did have a paella <laughs> Which is delicious. You can't really eat with your hands, but um, it was good. I had like some good Ghanaian food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was fine, but it was kind of f- fun to go to this thing that I've never been to. I literally was about to say, did it fulfill your 2023 goal of having more fun? I mean, it started. I had some good martinis on the walk home. Okay, that's fun. So that was fun. Yeah. I went to a techno show on Saturday night that um, really made me feel like a fun, spontaneous gal. Yeah, because you weren't planning on going, right? I was literally en route home thinking about the shower I was about to have after it was very hot on the weekend. And I had been up. We'd actually recorded our last episode of the podcast that morning with Nomi Fry. So I'd been up and wearing the same outfit since about 7 a.m., and running around to appointments all day, then had dinner with friends, then went to see a movie and was literally on the tram going home when I just got a little text saying, I got a spare wristband for this over mono show. Mm-hmm. Do I know over mono? Nah. Do people know them and were really upset that I didn't, that I went to the show and didn't know who they were because they were jealous? Yep. Turns out, yep. Um, I, I had no fucking reference point for this music, but my friend met me at the door with a wristband, a vodka soda and a pair of earplugs and said, trust me. And how about it? I just, I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> it looked fun. I was with someone who was sort of meant to be at that show yeah. at that time. And I she did, knows who she is. Yeah, and I did ask like. Over mono, is this something for me? And she said, oh, it's not a jinxy vibe. And you know what? If any single other person on this planet said it's not a jinxy vibe, I'd be like, fuck you. Yeah. I bet it is. You don't know me. You don't know me. Yeah. But when she says it, I'm like, cool, won't look into this further. Yeah, absolutely. She knows. <laughs> we know. And look, it wasn't a BL vibe either. But I I went with the you kids. You went with it. And um, I went with the I was about to say the beat, but I don't know that there's, I don't know. I sound like an elderly woman now. I literally texted my friend saying, I don't think I can handle it. I'm wearing a maxi dress and a tote bag. And he sent me a photo of the crowd and I was like, I'm going to look like a mum confused in the crowd. I can't do it. And he was like, yeah, but come though. Did you give Panadol out to anyone in the crowd? <laughs> I could have. I had a bottle of water in my bag. They didn't even check because oh. I think I gave off such a such a down. I didn't even have my ID with me. That's how unprepared I was <laughs> to go to a show. But the the women's bathroom at the Over Mono Melbourne show was truly a sight that I've never seen before, even at a music festival, etc. I was waiting in line and a girl was buckled over being like, oh my God, hurry up you guys. Cause the, you know, the cubicles mm. are in a short supply um, for the kids at the techno show. And when a, when a door in front of me opened, I said, you go ahead, like go in front of me. I'm not busting. And she ran in and said, I don't even have time to close the door. So just sat on the <laughs> toilet in front of me, Barely got her undies down. I don't even know if she did. Wearing like a cute little sexy nighty dress mm-hmm. and just started pissing. And as I was like waving her friend down to be like, I can't stand in front of the door for her. It was mum. I was mum. I was like, mm. girls, there's a cubicle down here. Come on. <laughs> no, one at a time. Um, close the door for God's sake. Close the door. Oh, you're going to need a jacket. She would have needed a jacket. It was very <laughs> stressful for me. <laughs> I just needed a vodka soda and to forget about her. (laughs) 
Mum's night out. Oh my god. That sounds great. That night I ended up with a funny crew of people at a pub in Fitzroy, last people standing. Still got it. Proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, we still got it. We're fun. We're fun. I went back to the gym yesterday mm-hmm. after a long hiatus. Yeah. I started couch to 5K again. Are you lifting? I did lift yesterday, yes. Um, I'm quite sore today, but I will be going back tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I started the couch to 5K or like 5K runners app again, but I started from week two this time because... I've started it about 80 times and never completed. So I was like, maybe there's a curse. Maybe there's something wrong here. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I went into week two. I'm hoping that has shifted the vibe. But on my way in, I ran into friend of the pod, Tom, and he was just exiting the gym and had been listening to our podcast. He held up our podcast on his phone was like, look. Oh, my God. Isn't great? I knew we were workout music. Yeah. I guess we listen to podcasts while we're doing stuff. Do I, you? At the gym? No. No. I, no, I'm, I'm like, I was listening to Yeji at the gym. Oh, that's kind of great. It's Perfect. A, yeah, it is really good at the gym. Um, How do you go with Catch the 5K Week 2? It was hard, but I loved it. Okay. Yeah. And then I did some podcast listening on like a stationary bike situation and I then I did the lifting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it felt good to be back. Mm. Something that got announced recently, Jinxie, is the Rising program and it features so many past also-alsos. It really does actually, doesn't it? Ethel Kane, mm? Wiseblood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we didn't talk about good time. Have we ever talked about the Safdie brothers? Who knows? We should have. But Stefanino Panino was once an also also. His band is scoring a screening of good time. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen the movie. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Everyone told me that it's too stressful. <laughs> we did an exclusive run of it at Golden Age in Sydney. Did you? And uh, yeah, it did well. It yeah. was really, yeah. I mean, I love, I love all their stuff. When it opened here, I had... Look, I'm going to be honest. I'd never heard of the Safdie brothers when Good Time came out. I was like, this Robert Pattinson movie looks crazy. (laughs) Uh, But now, you know, I'm ready. Yeah. Well, I would say go online and get tickets, but everything is sold out. Yeah. Yeah. Truly everything. So go on Tixel and join the wait list. (laughs) Shout out, Tixel. (laughs) Hey, it's been a friend to me in the past. (laughs) You have an anti-recommendation. <laughs> yeah, I look, I do. This is like a, I did this, so you don't have to. But yeah, I, which I appreciate. Thank, well, thank you. I do this for you, Let BL. me take something off my list. <laughs> yeah, because we have our viewing lists, our reading lists. They're too long. So occasionally one of us will start something and you're like, actually, you don't need to do this. Uh, I did start, I haven't gotten the whole way through and I won't get the whole way through which is unusual for me, but it's Daisy Jones and the Six, which is on Amazon in Australia. I really didn't like the book by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I found it quite dull. It's If you are not familiar, it's essentially this mock oral history of a band that is Fleetwood Mac, but isn't Fleetwood Mac. Right, right like a fictionalised... Yeah, like yeah. very much inspired by the relationship between Stevie and Lindsay, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that the book lacked a lot of drama. If we're talking like 70s rock and roll, I want like a 70s rock and roll bottom. Like I want there to be real drama. There needs to be heroin. There needs to be like some like major drug episodes, some major sex problems, like sex trysts, like, Mm -hmm. and they had a few of them. Like, you know, people are on mescaline a little bit, but it just wasn't enough for me. I wanted. And like, how do they capture the music in a book too? Well, that's, that's the thing. It's actually better than in a TV show because you can kind right. of imagine it. Okay. But um, in the TV show, it's, I don't know how many episodes there are. I think I watched four or five and then was like, no, uh, it stars. That's right. quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I you usually a, a completist. <laughs> uh, Riley Keough stars. She's 100% the best thing about this. She's great. I love her as a performer. I think she's a great filmmaker. Like, and what better person to play this character than 
Elvis's granddaughter, right? Totally. Like, but it's just, it just doesn't do anything for me. There's not enough drama still. They mm. haven't added it for the show. Um, it also stars Sam Claflin, Claflin. Yeah. Who. He's British. Yeah. And he looks British. Like I cannot buy him as like this American rock and roll sex God. Yeah. 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 You know, like he's got the you know, mid-length hair and his tight shirt is like quite open on his bony chest, etc. But yeah. he's like not a rock god. He grew up driving on the left side of the road. 100%. And you, like he's he's a guy from Suffolk and, <laughs> and like he played, to put it into perspective for like, you know, Australian listeners particularly, he played the really horrible guy in Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale. Right. Okay. And that role really did suit. Yeah. This and not so much, but I think like mockumentary. So it features like the bands doing like a to camera, you know, like, I don't know, like a number of decades on Mm. after like an incident, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and like the mockumentary works for comedy extremely well. Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. Like Spinal Tab, like all of the Christopher guests, but it just doesn't really work for drama. Mm. Like I can't buy these people talking about like what it was like on the road and like, I don't like, it's just like, I'm cringing just hearing you describe it. Yeah. And everybody in it, apart from like them, it's like, they look like Linklater cast members meets the like quasi strokes. Like no one's particularly just kind of shaggy guys. Yeah. Just shaggy guys. Suki Waterhouse is in it. I think she's a charisma void on screen. There's Uh, nothing there. She's like, um, friggin' she's the new, um, Sienna Miller. She really is. Um, Camilla Maroney is good. She's like the one kind of bright spark. I was like, I'm sure I've seen this girl before. And then I looked up her Wikipedia and was like, I've seen her because she dated Leonardo DiCaprio for five years. She's like one of the famous younger gals. So now she's what, 27? Yeah, something like that. Sorry, that's my least favorite joke on the internet. It's like (laughs) his girlfriends are like young. Well, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah it's, it's become the, that meme of him from the Tarantino movie pointing at the television. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, yeah, we're in that. Yeah. Anyway, I just think you don't need to. Don't do it. I really appreciate this. You freed me. Even if you like, but I love Fleetwood Mac. I love like 70s Los Angeles. So do I, babe. This is not it. Just watch the live version of Silver Springs where Stevie sings to Lindsay. I'm sure that holds more drama than fucking anything in this show. Get yourself an Eve Babbitt's book. That's where it's at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but something to recommend, we are going to be talking about the new Rebecca Mackay book yes. in, I think, a week, um, so that you should read it. It's very good. You finished it. I'm about halfway through and I'm loving it. Yeah. When Jinxie says you should read it, she's not talking to me. She's talking to you listening to this at the gym <laughs> or wherever else. I'm not my business. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's, a big, it's a big boy of a book, but um, you're going to tear through it. It's called I Have Some Questions for You. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's very hot. Everyone's talking about it and we are everyone. We are everyone. Oh, my God. It was the book that we teased in our well-read little teaser a few weeks ago. And we were like, their March book, you're going to want to get it. It's really good. Mm -hmm. It's this. Yeah. Well, it's out. It's here. Yeah, j'adore. Can't wait. We're going to chat about two new documentaries uh, this week, starting with the new, I mean, I'm calling it the Nan Golden documentary. Everyone's calling it the Nan Golden documentary. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for good reason. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, the new uh, film by director Laura Poitras, um, which I just watched. Jinxie, did you see it at... In Berlin or Cannes or I somewhere at Sundance. Yeah, okay. Um, and it premiered at Venice last year and it won the Golden Lion there. It should have won Best Documentary at the Oscars, but it didn't. What did? Navalny, which is a very good film. That's but right. This one was incredible. Like, I think it's actually such a riveting, beautiful documentary. Yeah. Is it? I think it's the first since Laura Poitras' kind of like trio of like post 9-11 America films, the most famous of which is Citizen Four, that great Edward Snowden doc. Which won her an Oscar? 
I mean, does she need another one? Yes, is the answer. Yes. The answer is yes, but, um, you know, she's still got one. Um, it's all about, you know, photographer Nan Golden, who, um, you know, years ago she was prescribed Oxycontin for um, tendonitis in her wrist, and she spent three years after that addicted to opioids, um, finally recovered and joined this group, this incredible group of activists um, who go under the name PAIN, which stands for Prescription Addiction Intervention Now. Um, and they were in the news a few years ago for staging these die-ins in um, major art institutions around the world, including the Guggenheim and the Met um, and the Louvre, all in protest of the Sackler family. They're the family behind Purdue Pharma. They're longtime patrons of the arts. These big institutions like run on donations from families like them, but it's like fucking blood money. Mm. Um, it's all off the back of addiction and the opioid ep- epidemic that's killing thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans. And so this film kind of charts not just Nan Golden's activism um, with pain, but also everything leading up to that, her career as a photographer, her friendship with your fave Cookie Mueller mm. and her childhood as well. And, and the way that all of those things are connected in this like beautiful portrait of an artist. It really is. And you get to see, I uh, like her, uh, the fact that she is just so willing to kind of put her life on the line here. Um, she was in a very unique position in that she, you know, was battling her own opioid addiction, but also that all these major institutions, they all hold her work Mm. and her work is like, you know, it's not just this film, but like she is the subject of so many major surveys at the moment as well. Like Mm. she's an incredibly, you know, like she's been an artist for so many decades, celebrated, but now she's really being celebrated again. And, um, that's great. That's like reassuring to know. It is right. But it's amazing that, uh, yeah, that she was actually able to, you know, step up to all of the major, and we're talking like the Met, the Guggenheim, the Louvre, you know, like V&A, like they all have these uh, wings uh, owned by the Sackler family, like mm. um, the Temple of Dender, the Met is in the Sackler wing, yeah, you know, yeah. that famous scene from When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> or the friggin' um, scene from Ocean's 8 when they... Carry out the heist is like around those pools. Oh yeah, which the film opens with um, Payne staging a protest where they throw prescription drug bottles into the artwork um, and the like in permanent installation at the Met. The activists that she works most closely with, Harry Cullen and Megan Kapler, one of them says early in the film, it's so much stronger when the message is coming from inside the house. Like mm. Nan truly using her position and her status for good. And putting it on the line, putting her body and her career and her reputation on the line for like the future and the health and the safety of people across America. Yeah. When they started these protests, I remember thinking like, wow, this is amazing. Like go Nan, but also very cynically, like this is great, but like, you know, money talks in the art world and this isn't going to change, but she has actually made major or the group pain have actually made major changes. Yeah. It's like, it's when you watch the documentary, you realize that their goal, it's not just for like harm reduction and more safety and for doctors to like not prescribe Oxycontin as like a go-to drug for any number of illnesses, but like it's to take the Sackler name off because Mm. then being in these prestigious institutions is like a shield for a family like that. And they clearly rely on it for like the status and the, you know, it it covers up all manner of things. If you have an association with like, not just art, but like the highest echelons of the men and the Louvre. Yeah. And one part of their, protest that I really loved is that they, they design each of them for the place that they're going to, you know, Mm. the one at the Guggenheim took advantage of the big circular walkways around it. And it had like a, you know, 10 things I hate about you style (laughs) flyer drop from the top that looked really beautiful. Um, and the one at the Met, as I said, they threw the prescription bottles into the water there. Um, and Nan also was like, they didn't just choose venues where she's in the permanent collection, but they chose the days to go 
that were like free admission days when mm. there would be the most number of people there. Uh, they would blend in with the crowd because, you know, people start agreeing with them or joining in. It's really hard to arrest people when there are that many there. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all kind of based on or inspired by many of the protests by ACT UP, uh, of which Nan was a part and actually documented a lot of the ACT UP protests. So this is really stemming from, you know, that incredibly potent time of uh, fighting against the government uh, during the AIDS crisis and mm. really drawing attention to, you know, this kind of silent epidemic that the government was allowing to just sort of, you know, turn a blind eye to. And mm. that sort of is a theme that runs through the documentary as well, like Nan's relationships um, with her queer community and, you know, like with activist um, David Vojnarovic, who we've spoken about before on the pod, uh, that's all really great and like insightful stuff in this. Like it's just really, I hate the word powerful, but it is really powerful. Yeah. And they really kind of harness that idea of like artist protest um, and the, the power of turning like crisis and sickness into art Mm. as well. That um, was obviously a big part of ACT UP and, and his work, especially towards the end. And they include in the film this long passage of the text that was on the memorial flyer at his funeral, um, that that kind of phrase that begins with, like, I worry friends will slowly become professional pallbearers. And it's just, it's such a, like, I wouldn't say powerful, rallying, mm-hmm. motivating segment. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I mean, he just, every time you see him and hear him speaking, he's just a reminder of like why like anger and like not being palatable or easy or like going easy is like so important. Totally. Yeah. I also really loved that you got to see so much of Nan's work in this documentary. Like, I think I was a bit like, how's she going to do it? How's Laura Poitras going to do it? Yeah. Um, but it's like, well, there should be a documentary about the advocacy group pain, but there should also just be a documentary about Nan Golden. Um, But it really uh, shows that these are like, it's one and the same, really. That's Mm. how Nan kind of thinks of her work and her life. Mm -hmm. And I loved that you got to see so much of her work and also her appearances in films, like when she's in Vivian Dick's films and they show those excerpts and talk about the bars that she worked in and, you know, her, like, the really important queer scene around her and that, like, early downtown New York scene, but also, like, you know, her, her sex work and... Like the stories about her family and like the the title actually comes from her sister who uh, from like the medical files of her sister who committed suicide early in Nan's life. And I didn't know a lot. Like I knew a lot about Nan Golden, of course, but I didn't really know very much about her early life. Her childhood. Yeah. She I was watching like a New York Film Festival panel with all of them and Nan kind of spoke about that element of it and she I think she was like a bit of an intimidating figure to Laura Poitras, who was like, I'm obsessed with Nan Golden mm-hmm. um and equally as terrified of her. And Nan was kind of like, I've seen her films, I don't know what I've got to do with any of it. Why do you want to ask me about my parents? kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's all so it's so relevant, you know, the mm. history of illness and sickness in their family, but also you understand why a young girl like Nan, who grew up the way that she did, um ended up in New York, like found the community she did in Times Square. Um, She has this line where she talks about like Times Square was the real world or something. Mm -hmm. Like she just couldn't, she was like a classic, you know, young kid in the suburbs who felt like so restricted until she got to that place. Yeah. the Her relationship with Laura Poitras is so interesting because Nan actually started documenting and filming uh, the work of pain and then, spoke to the producers of the what we now know as all the beauty and the bloodshed and the producers suggested Laura Poitras to her and she said I thought I was not going to be interesting to her because I don't have any state secrets <laughs> but like what she had was much much more important to me also she probably does have some fucking state <laughs> I'm secrets. sure she goddamn does 
There's this amazing section of the um, the film where they're talking about Nan's work and the um, what eventually became Ballad of Sexual Dependency. The book began as these events around New York where she would put on slideshows of her photos and the way that she describes the scene in those events is so fucking cool mm. where, like, you know, her friends were all in the crowd because they were standing around waiting to see the photos she'd taken of them. And when they did, they'd yell and scream and they'd be like, Nan, take it out, take that picture out. So she eventually started putting more self-portraiture in um, and would have like, was it DJs or she'd have like music playing Mm. over it. And I just had the thought of like, how the fuck has no one done this in Melbourne? How hasn't some photo photographer slash DJ done a ballad of sexual dependency style. I don't know that I want to see anyone else's. (laughs) I don't want to see those photos, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, take them off the walls and put them like in a slideshow. Yeah. The Sacklers are obviously like protected by so much wealth and also like legal power. Their lawyers are being paid gazillions. Um, And eventually to escape the mounting lawsuits that they were being filed against them and against Purdue Pharma, they essentially extracted like $10 billion and then filed for bankruptcy. And so as a like workaround, realizing that this family wasn't going to get convicted in like criminal court, Nan and like a panel of people affected by the opioid crisis joined in the bankruptcy hearings, which we get to see in the film. And it's just so, so shocking to see these like awful faces of these awful people being spoken to by someone I'm now deeply obsessed with, Mike Quinn, Nan Golden's lawyer. Mm -hmm. He has (laughs) this big hair, which apparently is what everyone noticed about him when he first started working with Nan. They couldn't figure out how old he was because he just had this big fluffy head of hair. (laughs) Um, I'm going to include in the links um, of this episode an article all about him with a portrait taken by Nan because they're now very close. The The article says he's fighting the Sacklers and their army of lawyers on behalf of an artist friend and other opioid ac- activists for free. He wants what his clients want, not money, but the truth. He said, I'm dealing with people's hearts and describes himself as the Aaron Brockovich of the opioid crisis. <laughs> but something that this article also revealed is that he was on a reality show. What? He, <laughs> Mike Quinn, Nan Golden's pro bono lawyer, Worked in big law, was kind of disaffected by it, and then joined this reality show that Fox put on in 2014 called Utopia, which was based on a Dutch series and followed a group of people who attempted to maintain a society in a remote area. It was supposed to live stream for like a year as they tried to attempt you know, or, or tried to tried to create a new world together, essentially. Um 15 men and women were placed in isolation and filmed 24 hours a day, planned for one year. The cast was to create their own society and figure out how to survive. It was initially shown twice a week with online streaming 24-7 using 129 hidden and unhidden cameras all over a compound. Um, But I think it lasted like a few months and then they were sent home. And after that, Mike Quinn was like, okay, now I guess I'm in the arts. (laughs) Wow. He'd had his like Hollywood moment. Wow. Big law to big pharma pro bono (laughs) pipeline. Wow. With a little segue into Fox reality show. How bizarre. Utopian living. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. There's a, um, I've got a television link ripped from the headlines link for you. Mm -hmm. So in Elwood Gen Q season one. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. We find out that Kit Porter, Bet's sister, mm. has died uh, from an opioid addiction, has oh. died from an overdose. Yeah. Bet's running for mayor and she is extremely anti the Nunez family, who essentially are the Sacklers. Oh. And Danny Nunez, young lesbian. Of course. Uh, she's representing her father and uh, that all kicks the whole thing off. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you know, Jinxie, this is the first time we've talked about L Word Gen Q in a way that makes me want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that probably lasts about three eps, but you know, that's something. 
I've got a C also for um, it's kind of a a bit of a long bow to draw, um, but there's a scene. It's in, my favorite kind. Yeah, I guess so. There's a scene in the film um, where Payne has donated a uh, spectrometer to a kind of like drug center. It's the device that tests drugs to make sure there's nothing like fentanyl in in what people bring in and it's named the nan spectrometer that made me really quite emotional that shot in the film and it so my c also is kind of related to that it's for this um this group in melbourne called sesh ed who are all about harm minimization and education and safe drug use in australia they're kind of more focused as far as i'm aware on like uh, recreational drug use rather than like prescriptions like in this film um but it's where I often hear news about like, you know, training people to use Narcan in the event of an overdose and things like that. They're a peer run evidence-based harm reduction and safer partying initiative. And, um, they just have like really excellent resources on, um, like a kind of link tree spreadsheet that they make publicly available. So I'll link to their Instagram and that uh, spreadsheet in the show notes. That is great. And so important. Yeah. I see a lot of, there was a thing going around last year in America that was like, Hot girls carry Narcan. The Australian version, I guess, is Naloxone. And the government has a take-home Naloxone program where it's actually free in Australia and you can actually just get it from chemists. Oh, that's great. There's a website that we'll link to that actually tells you how to get it and what to do with it. Oh, so good. Do you have any sea also's? I've got a million sea also's. Apologies. I have a couple more too. Okay, great. You go. (laughs) Okay. I have a sea also, which is episode seven of sea also, where we cover (laughs) David Warrenovich's work in greater detail. It's our Andy Warhol diaries episode. And I listened back to it today and it's really good. Okay, great. Good to know. Good to know. There's a really great uh, interview with Nan from a couple of years ago. So pre any of this, but she does drop Laura Poitras's name in there. And you're Mm. like, ah. Um, It's on the Criterion website. And it was back when she made a short film, Sirens, that Michael Levy did the score to. And they were playing it. um, I think they had it on the Criterion channel or something like that at the time. Anyway, it's called... Feeding the Appetites, Nan Golden's movie obsessions. And it talks about like her relationship to the films that she was in or worked on or made, but also films she really loves. It's really excellent. It's really, really great. There's also a great piece on her work uh, that I found in Aperture from 2020. It's called Nan Golden's Profound Influence on Film and Television. It's very good and it kind of goes through her films, the films that she's been in, uh, but even to like smaller details, like Claire Denis actually uh, dedicated a film to Nan Golden. Cute. Nan's Rolodex must be so yeah. fucking great. Oh my God. Put that in an exhibition. <laughs> the first time I ever heard the Sackler name was in the context of this story that I'm going to put in the show notes, which was all about Courtney Love kind of like calling them out on Instagram Joss Sackler, who is like married into the family, I believe, um, has a fashion line and reached out to Courtney Love, um, who is sober, but still says, you know, forever I will be an opioid addict, uh, reached out to her in 2019 to attend a New York Fashion Week show. Um, she has a clothing line called LBV. Why am I talking about Josh Sackler's clothing line and mentioning it by name? Anyway, apparently offered Courtney Love like $100,000, hair and makeup, a car service, a custom made dress embroidered with 24 karat gold thread. Sackler claimed that a male entrepreneur would not be subjected to the same scrutiny that she is. So she tried to fucking Mm -hmm. girl boss her way out of this. Uh, She wanted to uh, (laughs) invite the woman who best embodies the uh, strong and undeterred women she designs her clothes for. And that's how she got to Courtney Love, who uh, I'm basically just reading the article to you now, but (laughs) Courtney Love basically called her shameless and offensive after everything I and many of my friends and millions of other addicts have been through with Oxycontin. She said to page six, I'm sober, but I will always be an opioid addict. It doesn't vanish. I will always be that. I'm just in recovery. And then basically said, what about instead of this, giving money to rehab facilities, paying for Narcan or creating a non-addictive painkiller compared her to Eva Braun, just an empowered woman who married into the Hitler family. Whoa. It was 
an excellent day online in oh, 2019. When, when Connie loves good, she is good. There's nothing better. Truly. Truly. Another seat also I've got is High Art, the film by Lisa Cholodenko from 1998. I feel like this is something I try to bring up every single week and I don't <laughs> actually know that it's ever made it into an episode, but it's like a perennial seat also. But it stars Ali Sheedy as a character named Lucy Berliner, who is completely 100% based off Nan Golden. Ah. Yeah. I watched this once at uni and have never watched, I have no memory of it. It's not on streaming in Australia, at least. I did buy the DVD off eBay. Uh, It is worth, it is worth buying off eBay. Speaking of eBay, I bought Ballad of Sexual Dependency, a first edition. Oh, well done. While watching this film last night. Yeah, it's, it's, you won't regret it. I gotta have it. Yeah, I was gonna say, you can often pick up uh, great Nan Golden books on A-Books or eBay. Um, that one is obviously the be-all and end-all. Uh, but I've got a beautiful copy of Variety, uh, the Bette Gordon film that Nan is in, and they talk about it a little bit in the film. And she took all of the stills, and they're so beautiful. Mm. Our gal cookies in there. And uh, also I bought one recently, which is 10 years after Naples 1986 to 1996, which features photos of when after the Ballad of Sexual Dependency, she then actually moved to Naples for a while. And so she took photos there with friends and then 10 years later and then text accompanying the photos. It's really beautiful. It's like my new my new fave. Yeah. Wow. Um, I am going to link in the show notes also uh, the New York uh, film festival panel that I mentioned before, because in it, there's this great moment where someone from the audience asks about the music in the film. And Nan is very proud about being the music supervisor. <laughs> she wanted to use friends music that she loves. She got a friend to score the film. Um, and she said, music can make or break a film. I'll watch anything Johnny Greenwood does, whether or not I like the film. And she's just like, so Nan on stage. Love it's it. really good. Okay, also out at the moment in cinemas in Australia and streaming worldwide is Meet Me in the Bathroom, uh, which is directed by Will Lovelace and Dylan Southern, and it's adapted from the very excellent oral history by Lizzie Goodman. Yeah, it's all about um, capturing this period of time in music in New York when band, you know, the the new generation of rock bands was coming out. It was like The Strokes, The AAS, Interpol, TV uh, on the radio, TV on the radio. Yeah, The Moldy Peaches, Brian Adams pops up, and no, sorry, Ryan Adams. <laughs> If Brian Adams popped up, that would have been amazing. It would have been a much different story. But no, it was fucking Ryan Adams, the villain of every story he's ever Such been. A villain. That has ever been told about him. Can you imagine? Oh, no. He appears on screen and people are like, oh, what's he going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah, the book uh, was kind of captured this period of time very strictly between 2001 and 2011. And the film has kind of different bounds it like starts a little bit earlier and ends a bit earlier um yeah what did you think of the film jinxie yeah i i really loved the book um i like i got a lot out of this doc and i lived uh on and off uh in new york during that time uh i was in a crazy long distance relationship with a New Yorker. And one place that we lived was actually directly opposite WizKid Management, the Strokes Agency, and Ah. they would just be hanging out all the time. It was back when... Which one? I don't know. I'm going to say Fabrizio was dating. Drew Barrymore? Yes. And so sometimes you'd see her. Oh, it I was like, a special time. I like the without even knowing where you were going with that. I was like, who's going to talk about it? It was yeah. Fabrizio. Um, and so... So it was quite fun to see that particular time period captured on screen and like, you know, I have great memories of going to the sidewalk cafe to see the moldy peaches all the time. Really? You know, like really fun, really fun time in my life. Yeah. Um, and so I got a lot personally out of like the archival footage, etc. Mm. Um, But yeah, like the film, as you say, is a really kind of condensed version of the book. The book had gave a lot more context to the time period and like, you know, that it was like largely like this all kicked off kind of post 9-11 and um, 
you know, like how quickly the bands blew up, like how they were yeah. massively famous so fast. Like Shipped the Strokes, off to Europe before they even had an album out. Yeah, like the Strokes, you know, they came out of their Swiss boarding schools and they were rock stars, right? Like yeah. it happened really quickly. Um, and then, of course, other bands didn't, you know, didn't quite make it. The Multi Peaches, you know, in particular is sort of the one band that they focus on that didn't really get there. Yeah. Um, and they were a very different kind of band mm. to The Strokes or The Yeah, yeah Yeahs. Um, but, yeah, I think the film struggles a little bit in its desire to try to adapt as much as it's trying to adapt. Like, it does cut things off. It does minimise its time. But in doing so, yeah, you don't get the kind of broad stretch of Lizzie Goodman's work. Yeah, like her book spoke to everyone. I think she worked with Fabrizio or a member of the Strokes in like a hospo job. And so had this kind of like trusted access to a lot of people and what these filmmakers had, like you said, is heaps of archival footage. But yeah, I felt watching it like it was a kind of abbreviated version, like knowing kind of what time we were at as I was watching the film, knowing it was only like under two hours. I was like, I feel that they're struggling to fit everything in Mm. to like tell this story um, the way that I guess Lizzie Goodman did because she had this very strict end point, which kind of exemplified the success of the bands of this era. I mean, I didn't even mention LCD sound system, but they're a big part of the book because obviously they started DFA records in this time. And by 2011, her end point, it was a year that both, they and the Strokes played these huge hometown kind of like where massive rock star shows at uh, Madison Square Garden. And for LCD, it was their quote unquote farewell show. Of course, mm. they're back making music again now. Um, but you see in the film, uh, James Murphy starting to make music. He comes across Whoa. so fucking boomer and bitter <laughs> and sad. He looks like a little fucking indie like true the original meaning of the word hipster james corden (laughs) he does he does (laughs) and like when he's talking about like kids these days i mean that was the breakout song was losing my edge which now you listen to it and you're like oh grandpa like you know where this came from i mean it was self-knowing yeah yeah it's self-reflective but yeah totally there is this incredible scene where he's like in a club where someone's playing dance music and he's like the kind of indie guy in the background not really getting it and then he takes ecstasy for the first time and it's this extended sequence in the movie where it's like him getting it like capital G getting it. And it is like (laughs) very charming. Um, yeah, I found some of the like little segments in the film kind of cheesy. There's this, the full version of when I was 17, just set Mm. to like a montage of the bands kind of growing up and touring and like getting bigger outside New York. And there's in the ending, there's like a passage read from leaves of grass by Walt Whitman. And I was like, (laughs) Okay, the incredibly true adventures of two girls in love. <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I don't know that they, I, I, I didn't love the film. I loved the archival footage. I loved seeing Karen O. Um, oh, she's MVP at 100%. And you're like, give me the Karen O doc. Yes, give there was not enough. Um, I think that they fit like. I think it would have been completely um, outbalanced if they had had more of her in it. True. I think that they probably wanted to, but... She's such a charisma machine. Oh, she's incredible. Her story's great. Like, the things that she's talking about being a woman in that industry is really fantastic. And, like, you know, there's not enough of that and there's not enough of, like, discussion Mm. of race and blah, blah, Mm. blah. And I think that if people were going to make a film, a doc about this scene in another 10 years, we'd get a completely different film. One that hopefully the strokes would give interviews uh, too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I, I kind of wish that this was a series, you know, like Me too. the streamers are financing big 10 part hour long documentaries. I would watch 10 hours of this because kind of the way that you need to tell a story with like an end point, I guess. And obviously Karen O and the strokes and all these bands went through like kind of struggles in Mm. adjusting to fame and attention and all of those things, addiction as well. Um, but I think the way that it was phrased, it made it seem like 
they were like flash in the pan successes or like that they, this was like a bubble in time that burst and it kind of painted this like, um, you know, kind of doomed picture of this scene that if I didn't know better, if I didn't know that these bands were still currently headlining major international festivals (laughs) and releasing music, I would have thought that they were long gone, you know? Yeah. We have to talk about Interpol. Oh my God. (laughs) If I were... Interpol, I would sue. <laughs> they don't come across well, the but they didn't come across well at the time. Did they not? No. I remember that. I like, listened to the music. I never like watched an interview. With you Interpol, were not you turning know? on those bright lights, Freddie. <laughs> um, I just look, the only thing I remember don't docs um, is there was a website at the time, like a really shitty website and it was just Carlos D has herpes.com. And it was like to warn like the women of New York and like when they were touring that Carlos D from Interpol had herpes. Oh my God. Yeah. He, I mean, look, they all, who's the lead singer? Paul, Paul Banks. Allegedly um, had herpes. Allegedly. I mean, you didn't make the website. Um, he, unless you did. He, I didn't. <laughs> Paul Banks just seen like he was depicted as like a total, like also ran like a guy who like never made it or something. And so again, watching this film and being like, you're Interpol. Like everyone knows Interpol, but seeing how he was like this kid who, you know, my teacher told me I could never be a rock star. It's just like, it doesn't carry the same weight knowing that he became Interpol. Um, but yeah, uh, Carlos D is like, has herpes.com has herpes.com is a real comic relief in this movie because he is trying so fucking hard and not pulling it off. He's deeply uncool. Um, he, I was trying to remember Klaus Nomi's name afterwards. Cause I was like, he's like, if Klaus Nomi did cosplay of Crispin Glover's character in Charlie's angels, mm. like he has this like horrible greasy hair. He looks 50. The first time you meet him when I assume he's like in his twenties, he's wearing like a kind of armband that I associate with a certain time in the 1940s and a certain type of person, but or at a Melbourne protest. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Um, and that like the, that Interpol uniform is very oh. harsh. Yeah, it is. Isn't it to look at? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. They also come across as like the band affected by, um, illegal downloading. They're like, we had this album and everyone was waiting for it to come out. And then I heard about this thing called Napster Napster, and we didn't make any money. And I was like, this was the early two thousands. This happened to all of the bands in this film, but they were just like the losers of the piece, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, they don't come across well at all. I really liked the inclusion of the Rapture though. Oh, same. Really great. So I thought, good. Um, the lead singers interviews were all really fantastic and mm. yeah. Mm. That um, it made me go like I watched it and then it made me go home and play the rapture. Yeah. And I think that's like the main takeaway from this movie is that like I came home and put last night on a playlist for a wedding that I'm DJing in a couple of weeks, you know, by the strokes, because watching them perform live, I was like, these are all fucking bangers still today. Yeah, they're bangers. Yeah. It made me realize how young they were like, Mm. because this film opens in 1999. I was nine. And I remember vividly getting a mix CD of the Strokes album from a friend for my birthday one year. And that same friend would like save up her money to take the train on weekends to Brisbane to buy stovepipe jeans, the same ones that the Strokes (laughs) wore, because like those trends were so far away and inaccessible to us. We literally just saw them in magazines, which seems like makes me feel a million years old. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember the mixtape I got when I was like 15 that the first time I heard the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And so to me, they always seemed so grown up and cool and far away. And so watching it back and being like, oh, you were babies. They were babies. You were such little babies. Yeah. There was, this is not really about the film, but like the book has this really great kind of section in it when the Strokes influence made its way overseas and bands like the Vines and Jet suddenly appeared in New York. So it's like these bands that whether they were directly influenced or not, but they were of that time just a little later. And there are these great like anecdotes in the oral history about members of these bands, like trying to keep up with the Strokes and the bands that had become successful 
they were successful kind of because of these bands. Now they wanted to hang out with them. Anyway, there was like, I think there was like an anecdote of one of the members of Jet or the Vines who just did truly so much coke one night that they lost him, but he was still in the club where they'd left him <laughs> at the table and didn't make it like to the bus or the hotel or the venue the next day. And um, pre-mobile phones, they just like... I'm, I'm probably really mistelling the story. No. I hope I'm not misrepresenting anyone, but I'm pretty sure that was the anecdote. Like allegedly. These, these alleged little Australian rock stars allegedly trying to keep up a little too hard with the big boys. <laughs> love that. Love that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lizzie Goodman's book is like the biggest see also, right? Yeah, like is. read, meet me in the bathroom. Absolutely. Oh, I want to give a shout out to the see also listener who was also at the screening that I went to at Thornbury Picture House who came up and said hi. Fun, love that. Very chic. I'm sorry I didn't ask your name. I probably would have forgotten after the techno show <laughs> drilled it out of my head. Um, but the two directors also, Will Lovelace and Dylan Southern, I didn't realise they made Shut Up and Play the Hits, mm. the great LCD sound system documentary. Yeah, which is very cool. Really good. I have another seat also, which is a callback to last week's air. Nomi Fry did a great profile piece on Julian Casablancas. Maybe last year or the year before for New Yorker when he was trying to enter the world of politics. And he only kind of agreed to the interview from my, you know, murky memory if he could like talk about politics in it. Wait, what was he doing? I think he was like trying to run. Was he running for something? He was like trying to run or he was like involved. He was deeply involved. Wow. Anyway, we'll link that one. I would vote for Julian (laughs) and Jillian, whoever she is. Um, I have one last see also. It's the podcast Date with the Night. Um, It's run, I believe, by the people who run the Indie Sleaze uh, Instagram account, which is a really great follow. Um, And like this. It's so good. It's so good. This, um, much better than any other like trend based Instagram accounts, uh, like this, this section in time that this film and the book covers, it like kind of intersects with like the vice scene, the indie sleaze scene, but it feels distinct enough to be like its own thing. Like it wasn't a scene built of the internet. It wasn't attached to a specific trend or style, you know, like the rapture were more electro, the strokes were more rock and roll. The moldy peaches were like anti-folk, but it was all like more a community than a sound, I guess. Um, but yeah, the date with the night podcast, uh, is just a really great little capsule of like interviews and discussions around the indie sleaze kind of era of music. My first also, also is kind of inspired by Nan Golden, I guess. Uh, and again, another long bow I'm drawing, but, um, there's a new exhibition at the Bendigo art gallery called Australiana designing a nation. And it includes like dozens of works by Rennie Ellis, who's one of my favorite Australian artists. Um, he's a kind of street photographer really captured like the look and the scenes and the subcultures of Melbourne and Australia in largely the 1970s and eighties. Um, and also Bendigo art gallery is just like a really nice little day trip on the V line from Melbourne. Um, the gallery is very close to the station, so you don't need a car or anything. You just hop on, hop off. Great. I can't wait to go. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, maybe we should take a little trip together. Oh, yes, I'd love. (laughs) I've got a little shout out also also to a listener who tweeted at me um, from my also also from two apps ago, which was about the Shantakai Foundation. And she said that she immediately went to Mecca and loved it, but couldn't purchase it because uh, she applies all of her makeup in the car. <laughs> and I loved that. And I was like, maybe we should do like car friendly also, also at oh, yeah. some point. No fingies. No fingies. Anyway, um, I've got to listen also as my first. Look, it's yet another NTS playlist. I'm sorry. I know a bit of a broken record, but I haven't spoken about this one before. Oh my God. There's an NTS party on the rising lineup. Is there? It's all a full I circle. Get a ticket. Well, I'm going. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I'll look on Tixel. Um, it's called Death Is Not The End, which is a show out of London. It's monthly. Um, they do these incredible deep dives into like this very specific scenes from different countries across time. It's quite amazing. I found it because I was looking for a like Thai pop playlist because I'm going to Thailand in a few days and I like to immerse myself in the 
historical music, sure. of course. Uh, and so they've also got all these great playlists from everything from like 60s and 70s pop and rock from Malaysia and Singapore, 40s and 50s Dominican merengue, the 90s like London rave scene. They really cover a lot of ground. I think mm. that there is something for everyone. That sounds great. Mm. I can't wait to hear about the actual pop music you experience in Thailand, P.S., when you come home. Um, I have a sweet also. It's a relatively new Melbourne ice cream shop that I visited yesterday um, after many, many weeks of trying to fit it in my weekend schedule. It's called Fluffy Torpedo. It's on Smith Street. It's kind of opposite like the Grace Darling. Good to know. Yeah. It's in this stretch of shops that has like a fabric store next to it. Anyway, I went yesterday with a um, friend of the pod, Emily, and um, I thought I was just taking us to a new cute ice cream shop. I didn't know that we were going to be confronted with such flavors as Vegemite white chocolate and honey soy sauce, mm. smoked cherry ripe. Oh, that sounds good. Durian flavor. Oh, yeah, love that. I got uh, a couple of scoops. I got lychee, lemon, lime, and bitters sorbet with a little coconut cream lime marmalade, which was very delicious. I also tasted their roasted strawberry flavor and salted lemon lemonade sorbet. And they were all incredible to the point where I'm now like, all right, I want to go back and try some of the fucking weird flavors like Mountain Dew Oreo. Oh, Blue Powerade. Oh, I'd try that. Get me some of that after Meredith. Oh, that's actually perfect. Yummy. Port prunes and butter, maybe less so. That sounds very like rum raisin. It's a little Harry Potter for me. It really is. It's going to come alive and like eat you back or something. <laughs> I've got to subscribe. Also, it's Hedy McKinnon's to Vegetables with Love newsletter. Uh, she is, of course, an incredible uh, cook and cookbook writer. I love her cookbooks so much, uh, like community, neighborhood, family. All my copies are just like you could open any page and it's just like sticky with ingredients yeah. spilt on them. <laughs> That's because I use them all the time. So good. I've been like a heady fan for a long time back when she used to deliver lunch to you in like Sydney at your office. Oh God, it was such a good service. And then she moved to Brooklyn, which was extremely rude of her. And then I had to start cooking for myself. (laughs) Anyway, she writes a lot for like many newspapers, including the New York Times, where she's had a kind of a bit of a moment with the New York Times. Um, But yeah, with her newsletter, she gives you... Uh, free recipes for things that like don't always make it into those kind of you know major oh, major outlets cool. or her cookbooks and she also just started a subscription newsletter called the Choi Love Club which uh, it's like five dollars a month and fifty dollars annually and as someone who doesn't really subscribe to many things this is one that's come along and I'm like mm, I should probably do that should probably do that. If there's someone I want to pay to make more content delivered directly to me, it's Hetty McKinnon. It is. So you can find her at hettymckinnon.com slash newsletter. This is a great also just for me personally. Oh yeah. They're all for you. Yeah. Thank you. I've got one for you. It's a bathe also. Ooh, love it. Okay. The product is called Asian exfoliating bath cloths. The labels are like the packaging is like all written in Korean, but that they are the keywords that you search to find them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and when you find them, you will f- also see many articles kind of like espousing the benefits of bathing with these exfoliating mitts. Um, and I guess not all exfoliating mitts are created equal. It's <laughs> not like a loofah or something. Essentially, I saw people shouting about them on TikTok, Korean women, especially who were like, we grew up with these. They're in every Korean household. You don't need any product on them. You just kind of like rub it all over your body and it makes your skin really smooth. And I can attest, like if there's, if there's one country where I will try any and all skincare products to come out of, it is Korea. I did have to buy these on Amazon, which I don't love to do. Um, but, uh, again, they, I'm shopping based on keyword only. I don't know the actual proper Korean name for these. Um, but apparently the green ones, which is what I have a kind of the entry level exfoliating mitts. And then based on color, they kind of 
go up and down in uh, intensity of the exfoliation that you're going to get. Oh, good to know. Yeah, but like no product. You're not lathering or like love it. washing anything off. Yeah, it's great. Very good. You know I love a bath also. <laughs> I've got a watch also as my final one this week. It is a film very dear to my heart. It's an Australian film called Of An Age by director Goran Stalevsky. Uh, you might remember that we raved about his film You Won't Be Alone last year, the uh, shape-shifting witch Macedonian film, mm-hmm. um, which we both loved, mm-hmm. both floored us. Well, anyway, this is his second feature. It opened MIF last year and it's finally in cinemas in Australia and it opened in the States in Feb, so you might still be able to see it. And it's already streaming like in the UK, I believe, and in a couple of other countries. Um, Look, it's just so beautiful. It's set in the suburbs of Melbourne in late 1999. I mean, where to start with this film? It's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. It's this incredible, like, queer romance that is so funny, cringy, beautiful. Perfectly written, perfectly acted. Oh, it's great. Score, soundtrack, perfect. Direction. Yeah, stars Tom Green, Hattie Hook, and Elias Anton. I cannot rave enough about this film. Go and see it in a cinema. That's it for this week's episode of See Also. Thanks so much for listening. If you don't already, you can follow us on Instagram at See Also Podcast. And please share uh, an episode with a friend who you think would like it. Yeah, we love it when you uh, put it on Instagram in your stories and tag us too (laughs) as well. Because then we get to speak to other people too. Not just each other. It's beautiful. Um, Thanks as ever to Samuel Hodge for our original artwork and Harvey Sutherland for our theme music. See ya. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.